Thank you. Let's, uh, let's open our Bibles today, please, to the book of Genesis, chapter 37. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Rhonda. Boy. Genesis, chapter 37. Uh, I remembered uh, the name of the couple that lost their young son, Ed and Debbie Neiman. Uh, Debbie, I think, was uh, Schaefer's oldest daughter, uh, Jenny and Schaefer's oldest daughter. Can we just get a little bit more out of this band today? Um, in Genesis chapter 37, I'd like to talk to you this morning about Joseph, the father's favorite son, from pain to glory. You know, whenever you get... Uh, like stuck in the Old Testament like we are right now, it's hard to get out because uh, every one of these biblical characters have so much for us today to learn from their lives, and especially Joseph. We're going to begin reading in verse number 1, Genesis 37, 1. Now, Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. We've been talking to you these last few weeks about the land of Canaan. Abraham went there. God says, listen, I'm going to give you that land. And they've been trying to hold on to it ever since. Uh, verse number two, this is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock of his fathers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. It's interesting, as we read through these verses, I want you to think about the life of Jesus. Because Joseph's life and Jesus' life parallel each other. Actually, J. Vernon McGee said there are at least 30 different points of connection between the life of uh, Joseph and the life of Jesus. That's why whenever you read the story of Joseph in the Bible, it looks so familiar to you. You say, oh man, I've seen that before. Yeah, you've seen it in the New Testament. You've seen the life of Christ. Uh, the Lord here in the Old Testament is, is painting us a picture, a preview of the life of Jesus. Uh, so here we find uh, we're introduced to Joseph, who is a type of Christ, age 17. We know nothing about his early life. Uh, he burst on the scene uh, with a vengeance here, and he is, uh, he is keeping the flock of his father. And he's also giving a bad report on his, on his brothers. Just last Sunday going out to church, uh, a couple little kids in our Sunday school, I saw them doing the very same thing that happened right here. One brother was tattling on his sister. And, uh, you know, just wanted to make sure his dad knew uh, exactly what she was up to. And so whenever we come to this passage of Scripture, many people take it that way. Uh, many people think, well, you know, that's what uh, Joseph is doing. Joseph is like giving his, he's the young son. He's telling dad everything that's going on with the brothers. Verse 3. Now Israel, uh, that's Joseph, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his brothers, or children. Uh, this is a problem in any home. Uh, this is a problem with any people. Anytime there's such a thing as preferential love and preferential treatment, all sorts of pain uh, breaks out, and it certainly did in this family. Uh, one of the reasons, though, that's given here for this preferential love is the fact that Joseph was the uh, son of his father's old age. 
some people have kids younger and then they have kids later and they're like two worlds apart. You know that? That's kind of what we did. We had two kids young and then came Steve 10 years later and our older kids used to say, this kid gets away with murder in the house. I mean, you would have killed us. if it, We would have been dead in the tracks if we would have done what this kid uh, does. And so there is a difference uh, at the age when people have children. And so Jacob uh, was, had this child uh, when he was old. Uh, he was wiser. He was kinder. And he made him a tunic, a coat of many what? This, uh, this made, of course, this boy stand out. And he already stood out because he was his father's favorite son. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. This was the response. And could not speak peaceably to him. They didn't have anything good to say about Joseph or to Joseph. He was just off their radar screen. Now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers. Now this is a mistake that he's making here. And the Bible says here they hated him even more. And I've circled those words even more because the hatred is really building up here. And so he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. And then he tells them a dream. Verse number 8, And the brothers said to him, Shall we indeed reign over us? So you reign over us, or shall we indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more. And I've circled that. They hated him even more. And so the hatred is building and building. And one of the reasons why is because they envied him because he had such a connection with God. He told them that God spoke to him through this dream. And uh, they were probably thinking, well, God hasn't done that for us. And so therefore, you're our father's favorite son. We hate you for that. Now we hate you for this. And then, verse 9, he has another dream. And he should have not told this one, but he did. He was young, you know. When you're young, you do strange things. Uh, he told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down before me. And so he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in his mind. Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. There was a team of uh, shepherds going to feed the flock. They needed a team. Shepherding was very hard. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here, here am I. Then he said to them, Please go and see if it, well, or it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks, and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. You know, as much as Jacob loved Joseph more than the other sons, he still loved his other sons. Uh, Joseph was just on another level. And so he was concerned about his other sons that had gone to keep the sheep up in Shechem. Verse 15. Now a certain man found him, and there he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What are you seeking? And he said, I'm seeking my brothers. I hope as we've been reading through this, you've been running the parallel in your mind of Jesus seeking his brothers whenever he came into this world. That was his mission, you remember? 
Uh, he went out wandering from place to place, town to town, seeking his brothers. And uh, verse 17 says, And the man said, Have they departed from here? For I have heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. Look it. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them. There's much more to this story. Every time I read the story of Joseph, it kind of moves my heart because, uh, because we could title it uh, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. Uh, one of the best characters in all the Bible is Joseph. I challenge you to try to find something said negative about him. He is one of the most perfect types of Jesus in the Bible. We could title this passage of Scripture, The Son Who Lost Everything to Save His Family. Uh, whenever I read about Joseph, I'm just uh, really in awe at the tremendous character that he was, the depth of his person, uh, the power of his staying ability. Uh, do you know that one quarter of the book of Genesis is about Joseph? Uh, and uh, one commentator said the reason why he thinks a quarter of the book of Genesis is about Joseph is because Joseph's life exemplifies, now listen to this, Philippians 4.8, listen. Philippians 4.8 goes like this, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. You know, God wants you and me to think on things that are good, virtuous, and great. He wants us to keep those things before us. And the commentator said the reason why Joseph takes one quarter of the book of Genesis is because God wants us to see Joseph because he exemplifies all those things that we should be looking at. Now, that made sense to me. Now, who is Joseph? Joseph is the 11th son of Jacob. I tell you, he had a whole fleet of kids. Uh, Jacob, his father, lived on his own terms. Uh, he tricked, remember, his brother Esau. He stole his inheritance. Uh, he stole the blessing. And then he, remember, went to Laban. And uh, then he, he was tricked by his father-in-law Laban. And you know that old saying, what goes around? Yeah. Uh, the Bible states it this way. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also what? Uh, if you reap friendship, you get what? Friendship, right? If you uh, reap gossip, you get what? Gossip. It all comes back, doesn't it? There's a strange way. If you reap blessing, you get blessing. If you reap cursing, you get plenty of that. And so that was Joseph. Joseph actually had two lives. Uh, the life, his former life. I've heard people around the church saying every now and then, oh, that was my former life. I don't go back there. Uh, I want to leave that back there. But, you know, the former life oftentimes kind of nips at us at our heels. You know that? You know, we're trying to live the current life, the new life, and we're, and we're, and we're kicking the old life away. Well, that's what, that's what happened with Jacob. He had a few bad habits that he brought into his current life. One was favoritism. Uh, in wives, he, he had a plurality of wives, which was certainly not a good thing. Uh, he had his favorite wife, and he had his favorite son. We're introduced here to, uh, to Joseph. Joseph was a shepherd feeding the flock, and uh, we want to look at that right here in the Scriptures.
And uh, that's actually the way the story begins here in verse number 2 of, of Genesis 37. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock of his brothers. That's how they had their living back then. They didn't train them to be doctors and lawyers and uh, court assistants and uh, things like that. They, they were shepherds. That was their business. Uh, Jesus, too, was a shepherd. Remember, he said in John 10, 11, this. Let's, let's read it. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Now, in the story of Joseph, that's what we see. He's going out there. He's a shepherd. He's going out to find the other shepherds, his other brothers watching in the sheep. And I'll tell you, in that, in that environment, it was very dangerous. There were robbers. There were bandits. There were beasts. And uh, a shepherd had to be willing, actually, to give his life. But Jesus took that, of course, one step farther. Uh, he was willing to give his life for another flock, and that was the flock of which most of us in this auditorium are a part today. Uh, we have decided by faith to be part of the flock of the Lord, and so the Lord has then encompassed us into his flock, and he gave his life for us. John 10:18 says this. Let's read it. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. You know, many times people think, well, you know, the crucifixion of Christ upon the cross was just an unfortunate event, some bad things that spiraled out of control, and all of a sudden Jesus found himself hanging on the cross. Jesus said, here, listen, that's not the way it is. Jesus said, I have power to lay my life down. I have power to take it again. Uh, this command I've received from my father, actually in Matthew 26, 53, he says, if you really want to know the truth, he says, I could call 12 legions of angels, just like that. You know, whenever I pray in the morning for angels, and I do almost every morning, pray that the Lord will surround our family with angels, and I name our kids one by one. And uh, I, I want God's angels to be a part of my what I'm doing in this life. I want to feel them next to me. Uh, I, want to, uh, I want to know that they're nearby. Uh, but I've never prayed, prayed for uh, 12 legions like uh, Jesus said he could get right here in Matthew 26, 53. Another thing, we, uh, let's look at a few more similarities. Joseph was sent by the father in verse number 12. And uh, the father said, I want to send you on a mission. And without hesitation, he said, here am I. And it's interesting that this mission that he sent Joseph on was a mission of love. Uh, go check out your other brothers. See how they're doing. And uh, you know what the New Testament says, that Christ came not into this world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be what? Saved, right? He sent this world, he sent uh, his brother out to, to uh, find his other brothers. 1 John 4.10 talks about love. Let's, uh, let's look at that. Let's read it, please. This is real love. It is not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. You know, there's no way that, that we could define what real love is. Uh, God has already defined that. And real love is when he sent his son to die upon the cross for our sins. The unlovely. God did this extraordinary thing, and the Bible says... Now, actually, John here, 1 John 4, says, listen, here's the definition of real love. 
Not that you love God. That's not such a big thing. The bigger thing is that God loved you. That's real love. You want to get the definition. Well, he sends, uh, he sends Joseph out to get his brothers. Matthew 15, 24, remember, that's exactly what uh, Jesus was sent to do. Let's read it. Then he said to the woman, I was sent only to help the people of Israel, God's lost sheep, not the Gentiles. You know, when Jesus came initially, that was his focus right there. Not the Gentile nations, but it was the Jews, his brothers. And so see how the parallel is working right here? The father sent Joseph. He said, listen, don't go out and just find a bunch of people out there to check them out, see how they are. I want you to find your brothers. And so initially, Jesus came for the nation of Israel. And then the big verse that most of us remember and always comes to our mind when we think about these things is John 1.11. Let's read that. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Now, I know you're ahead of me already in your thinking because that's exactly what's going to happen to Joseph right now. He comes to his own, and his own received him not. The Bible says that he was sent out from Hebron. The word Hebron means fellowship. He was at home in fellowship with his father. Uh, from this calm communion of our Lord in eternity, God sent his son Jesus into the world. Uh, and what a drastic difference that was from where he was to where he came. Uh, you know, we think about our kids. Uh, my son Dan went to the retreat. Leslie went over to uh, Ohio to do something uh, over there. And, and uh, Joanne and I have the boys, grandkids. Man, I'll tell you. Somebody told me earlier in the service they're going to be a grandmother, they think, and they're all excited about it. I said, you better get excited about it because that's like one of the best experiences you'll ever have in life. But I'll tell you what, your house is going to be torn up. When the grandkids, the kids have more stuff today, you know that? We never had anything. We went to visit somebody, we didn't have any. They come with backpacks full of stuff, games. They plug into the television. We, after they leave, we can't even figure out how to get the television on. You know, it's like we can't, you know, I mean, they mess with every gadget. It's incredible. But, boy, it's so much fun. Yesterday I was a soccer mom. <sighs> was that hard? These people, they're serious. They're sitting out there in the rain. Well, I was sitting in the car. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't exactly a soccer mom. You know, I, I was just kind of like at a distance being a soccer mom. But it was a tough business, you know, that. Man, they just filled the van up with all this stuff. I don't, they have so much stuff. It's incredible. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, we're, we, we love these kids of ours so much, and we're just so afraid that they're going to be introduced to the real world, aren't we? My mother, I, I, I apologize all the time for bringing her up, but who wouldn't if you had a 99-year-old mother? Uh, you know what she told me one day? She said, Johnny, we would have never, ever thought about disobeying our parents. Well, she lived in a different world than I lived in. But she meant that with her whole heart. She said, we would have never thought about disobeying our parents. Uh, she grew up in a very sheltered world. She really did. Uh, but our kids don't grow up that way today, do they? 
I'll tell you, wish we wish that we could protect them, we wish that we could guard them, and we're doing the very best we can to do that, and we're all trying to help each other out there. Uh, and, and in our little nest, we want to create as much blessing and communion and fellowship as we can but we know one of these days they're going to go out and their eyes are going to be open and they're going to see this world as it really was. And so if you figure how drastic that transition is, you just compare that to Jesus. When he was in communion with his father and then he stepped down into this ugly, dirty world, uh, he left Hebron. And in verse number 12 and verse number 14, the Bible says that Joseph came to Shechem. The word Shechem means shoulder. Uh, Shechem had a bad reputation. No wonder the father was concerned about his kids, uh, his other kids working up there, and so he sent this son to check them out. Uh, you've heard people say, well, you just put your shoulder into that. That means uh, that lift the burden. That means, that means uh, give it your effort. It denotes servanthood. And so here we have jo Joseph, little Joseph, 17-year-old Joseph, going out uh, to serve in the world. I love Mark 10:45. It goes like this. Even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Uh, I find it interesting in verse number 15 here that he is wandering in the field. And what he's doing, he's not lost, he's just looking for his brothers, just wandering around from place to place. And I go to the New Testament and I find in Matthew 13, 38 that the field is the world. And so when Jesus came into this world, he was doing the very same thing. He was wandering, not lost, but he was wandering around in the world looking for the lost. Uh, looking from place to place. Uh, I remember in Luke chapter 9, verse number 58, Jesus said, listen, foxes have holes the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That was Joseph at this time in his life. He's out there wandering around. He wouldn't stop. And the interesting thing is that he seeks them until he finds them. He could have turned back. The person he ran into said, listen, your brothers we think are in Dothan, and so he pressed on. And one of my all-time favorite verses is this verse, Luke 19.10. Let's read it. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. I'll tell you, that was the mission of Jesus right there. Jesus was seeking to save the lost. You know, I know that God doesn't wake up in the morning like we do, but if he did, uh, the very first thought that would come to his mind is the lost. That's what would be on God's mind. Uh, and, you know, I, I want to in some way incorporate that in my life. You know, it's so easy to live life and just kind of like roll around with all the bumps and lumps and, and take all the hits and complain about half of them and, and forget that our mission is a mission to the lost. It really is. It's a mission to reach the lost for Christ. The mission of the church. Uh, I want to encourage you to love the church. Uh, Every now and then I bring up my little church that I was raised in, in next to Langley High School in the Sheridan section of Pittsburgh. I don't even think it's open now. But whenever the subject comes up, I tell people, listen, it's open. It's just opened here. 
that's all. Just move, that's all. But that little church didn't have anything going for it except its faithful Christians. Uh, just had a little group of people that loved each other and loved the Lord, and, and they, couldn't put on, they, they couldn't put on a program if they tried. But they had the best program going in town then. They had God, and he was there, and he was working, and those little kids in that Sunday school gave their life to Christ. And that's what this church is about. That's what this church is about. Don't ever be embarrassed to give your life for the church because, listen, some church somewhere reached you with the gospel. Some church, some person in some church that got together and listened to sermons every week like you do, they reached you with the gospel. And so it's our time now in our church to do, to do the very same thing. Uh, we're not here to put on a big program to build a monument to anybody. We are here to reach the lost. That's why we are here. And every time in one of our Sunday school classes that one of these little kids accepts Jesus as our Savior, we jump up and down. Because we know one of these days this church will probably be closed down and they'll be the pastor of it somewhere else. And it will be because of your faithfulness in the church. Those people are always faithful. How I used to give those people such a hard time as a kid. I'm, I, I guess I'll have to apologize when I get to heaven. They'll probably ask me the first thing for that apology. They said, oh, we remember you. Oh, I, I should tell you the things I used to do in church, but I won't because it gives our kids too many good ideas. And they don't need any more ideas than they already have. And so here comes Joseph... Uh, his brothers are conspiring against him. Uh, and uh, it's interesting here that uh, it's, uh, it's a tremendous. Verse 18, now look at it. Now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him. Look, to kill him. Can you imagine? Uh, murder has been around for a long time. You know that? And it's amazing how the evilness that, it, that it's in people's hearts. And so they decided, hey, listen, we just want to take his life. We're tired of him. We're tired of him being the father's favorite son. And, uh, and that robe that his father made, that was a statement that he, listen to this, that was a statement that he got, the, he got the major portion of the inheritance and he was to be the ruler of the family. And if ever there was one of the boys who should have hated him more, it was Reuben because he was the firstborn son. But whenever they came up with this idea to kill him, I want you to notice what happened in verse number 22. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into the pit which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands, and uh, bring him back to the Father. Uh, his idea was, listen, I don't want to take his life. I want to take him back home. Well, uh, they did... Uh, cast him into the pit. Uh, a traveling group of salespeople came along. They sold him for 20 pieces of silver. And Joseph went on this long, long, hard journey of which we could write, why do bad things happen to good people? And you know, the, the, the interesting thing is every time, they conf every time some bad thing happened to him, and it seemed like it was always having something bad happen to him, Every time something bad happened to him, he always responded the right way. He always responded the right way. And so he went down through this tremendous valley in his life, and you know the end of the story. 
he came out on the other side and God exalted him and he, beca he became uh, one of the major leaders in Egypt and he saved his whole nation and his family from starvation. And remember when he met his brothers, he made this tremendous statement, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for what? For good. And so I have to believe by that story that that's the way God works in our life. Whenever we go through these tough times and reversals come to us and, we, and, and all, this, all this disappointment in life happens to us, we have to believe this verse, and here it is, Romans 8.28. Let's read it together. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. All things work together. The good things, the bad things, mix it all together. God says, listen, I'm doing something good. Just hang on. You don't know what I'm doing, but I'm doing something good in your life. And at the end of the day, and maybe on the other side, you'll see how I worked in your life. And that's exactly what Joseph... Joseph wasn't bitter against God because of the things that were coming his way. He knew that God had a bigger plan. And you know, that really consoles me a lot. It really does. Because when bad things happen to you, I'm your pastor, my heart goes out, my heart bleeds. Every time some bad things happens to somebody in our church, I feel like it just, it's a dagger in me. And I wish I could fix it. But you know, we're pretty helpless, aren't we? About the situations of life. We just have to roll with the punches, that's all. And we have to realize, listen, God's working out something here. And I want my life in some way to exemplify the life of Joseph. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, I, I know that uh, seldom a week goes by that something real tough doesn't happen uh, to you and your family, to uh, you and your uh, French friends, their friends. And uh, it, it kind of rocks our world. It really does. And we... We've been misinformed. Somebody told us that as a Christian, we're supposed to not have these things, but that's not so. That's not right. Uh, we have them and sometimes more. But the thing that we have that the world doesn't have is Romans 8.28. For we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And so I assure you today that these tough things that you're going through, God has a plan. And he's working things out. And at the end of the day, we're all going to be surprised at what God is doing in our life. Dear Lord, as we come to the end of our service today, I pray that you'll move among us. I pray, Lord, that you will bless us as we have the invitation. For those in our church that would like to come and pray or make a decision to to uh, be a part of the church or to present themselves for baptism or whatever's on their heart, I just pray that you'll give us freedom to do that this morning as we give this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand it as we sing to the Lord. If you'd like to respond to Christ today, something in your heart says, boy, there's a, a decision I need to make, just, just come forward and make that decision this morning, okay?